Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 169 with Gail Van Gills. This is probably the deepest or most spiritual episode that we've had to date. We talk self-love, intrinsic human dignity, perspectives on fear and love from religious and secular vantage points. Oh my. So as compared to other episodes, this might be more mushy and less uh, immediately tactical than many. But I think it's also probably really among the most foundational when it comes to you and your presence and what you're bringing to being awesome at your job. So strap in because we're going to be talking about some of the heart stuff deep down inside with Gail here. So you're going to learn one, the effects of a toxic workplace and how to counteract it with love. Two, core practices to deepen your capacity for kindness. And three, a handy ritual to stop negative reactions. So if you'd like to check out the show notes, the transcript, or the links to items that we reference here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep169. And while you're there, I hope you check out some of our cool stuff, including the Gold Nugget email lists, where we take the notes for you from each guest, as well as give you notes we've taken for the 168 that have come before Gail here. If you're unable to put pen to paper while running or driving or doing what you're doing while listening, we do that for you. Send it right to your email inbox. You can read it in under two minutes. And if you won't remember to drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com, you can sign up via text message by texting NUG, that's N-U-G, to the number 444-999. You text N-U-G to 444-999 and you can sign up that way. Now here's Gail's story. Gail Van Gills is an author, leadership consultant, and life coach who opens the minds and hearts of her clients. As a senior mindfulness teacher with an MBA from UCLA, Gail combines her extensive meditation practice with her business background to help clients integrate mindfulness and compassion into their work environment. Gail is the author of Happier at Work, The Power of Love to Transform the Workplace, a practical guide for developing the powers of attention, stress reduction, communication, and collaboration for enhanced performance in work and life. And now, here's Gail. Gail, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's totally my pleasure. Well, I think you've got so much fun stuff to share. Could you open us up by telling a little bit of the backstory? There's a fun fact about you. You mentioned that you did some traveling with some star musicians, including Joni Mitchell and George Harrison, even living in their homes for a little bit. What's the story here? Yeah, so really interesting. I was in charge of the concerts at my college, Duke University. So I met all the rock stars. And I guess you'd say I was kind of a groupie-ish kind of person. <laughs> so I ended up marrying the guitar player who was traveling with Joni Mitchell at the time. And okay. he was Robin Ford. So we were married for seven years. And during that time, we went on the road a few times with Joni. And we actually lived in her house because we were traveling so much, we didn't have a house. So she just invited us to live with her. And at that time, she and I became pretty close friends. She was, a, you know, almost a decade older than me, but still, we had a good relationship. And then um, following that, George Harrison invited Robin to be his guitar player with the Ravi Shankar tour. So we went on both of those. We had private jet 
type situations. And when we got back from that tour, once again, we had no place to live. So we lived in George's house. <laughs> so that's the story. It was pretty amazing. I mean, really pretty amazing. I met everybody. I met everybody. Oh, that's so intriguing. And so here you are now talking about yeah. the power of love transforming <laughs> the workplace. Yes. Kind of harkens back to George, right? <laughs> so maybe first of all, could you share with us, I think that might make some people uncomfortable right off the bat. Love, workplace, touchy-feely. Yeah, tell me, when you work with folks, does that make them uncomfortable? And how should we get oriented to all this? Well, I think that's really interesting because at first I did get pushback from publishers and people who were you know, trying to figure out what's going to sell. Like, oh, you really shouldn't use the word love. But I wanted to use it for that very reason that it's provocative. And obviously I'm not talking about love affairs. I'm talking about the power of love, which I'm seeing as the opposite energy to fear. Okay. So fear closes us down. Love, compassion, interest, curiosity, all of those things that go along with love open us up. And what we need to transform the workplace is to get away from being so closed down. Okay, understood. So that puts things into a handy context. And so can you maybe assess a little bit of the problem here? You say that often workplaces have become toxic, you know, in terms yeah. of our mental, emotional, physical health. Is there some compelling data you might share along those lines? Yeah, there's actually a lot of data. And the person who keeps putting it out week after week is the Gallup organization. And they're talking about it a lot in terms of employee disengagement. And disengagement is extremely high. I think it's in the 70s. So it varies from 68 to 71 or whatever. About fewer than 30% of people report themselves as engaged with their work. And the reasons that people are disengaged have a range. And they have to do with being overworked, being ignored, being stressed being bored, being in the wrong job, being ignored, all sorts of reasons. But basically, disengagement is extremely high. And also, the statistics are very strong coming out of neuroscience research that when people are stressed, that they're less healthy. So it physically actually shuts down your immune system to be stressed. So people are having a toxic emotional and physical reaction to the environments where the workplace is fear-based and tight and making them be super controlled. Okay. Well, so there it is from the Gallup engagement work. And it's interesting when you talk about love and engagement, I'm also thinking now about, I saw a Boston consulting group study, mm -hmm. which surveyed, boy, I believe it was about 200,000 workers across the world. And maybe you saw this one as well. The number one thing that was driving the experience of job satisfaction was appreciation. Yeah. People just want to know that you care about them, that you're noticing what they're doing and that their efforts are recognized. It's so easy to turn around this disengagement, but it's a different mindset. It's a mindset of looking outward and actually caring about others rather than yourself. So once again, it's this power of love. Love is looking outward and extending to another person. And people who are fearful, and particularly managers who manage by fear, are generally thinking about their own needs. 
their own bottom line, their own need to succeed. And they actually aren't looking outwards to see how could I make others succeed, which would make me succeed. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hear you. Well, Gail, it's funny, this is connected for me on sort of some, you know, spiritual Christian Catholic dimensions in terms of, you know, love, love, love in terms of love God above all things, love your neighbor as yourself, and then be not Mm -hmm. afraid, you know, fear bad, love good is kind of a huge theme running through that whole Bible there. And so it's cool that you're talking about this in a workplace context. So then maybe can you lay it out a little bit in terms of the how, how might we, if we're experiencing some fear or some self-centeredness, begin to pull out of that a little bit more and to do some more of the love and good stuff? Yeah. So there's really um, pretty much a path to do so. So the first thing I would recommend for anybody is to spend some time in introspection or contemplation or taking surveys or whatever it is to become more aware of what you're actually feeling. So any kind of shift is going to begin with some kind of self-awareness. Why am I feeling so cut off? What is it I need? What do I love to do? Is there something that I could do to shift my experience at work. If I become aware of what really motivates me, what I value and what I need, then I can share that information with someone else. So that's the beginning is to become self-aware. Well, now, Gail, I'm intrigued here. Maybe you could have some cautionary distinctions to offer. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm thinking about you know others' awareness and being curious and appreciative of them. But you're saying it starts with our own self-awareness. So that's not a form of nasal gazing, navel gazing, or <laughs> selfishness. It's actually a key step along the way to loving others. In fact, that's exactly true. I remember when I first started practicing meditation years ago, my mom asked the same question. Isn't that a selfish thing for you to do? But of course it isn't because really the way that we feel about ourselves is so intimately connected to how we treat others. So if we are sternly judging ourselves, then we often come across as a judgeful person. Or if we are never satisfied with anything that we get, then we're a jealous person of other people. So it really starts with seeing what are you thinking and feeling inside. And if you can identify that, then you have a chance not to be caught by those habits. So that's really very generous. Okay, I'm with you. Thank you. And so then, well, let's maybe dig into one particular, I guess suboptimal might be the word, self-relationship component. I've heard a number of listeners say that even though they don't like it about themselves, they sort of have a fair bit of their value and self-image wrapped Mm -hmm. up in how am I doing at work? What kind of results am I producing? What kind of delight am I delivering to my managers, my collaborators, my customers, clients, etc.? And so in a way, that sounds like a form of judgment. It's like my value is contingent upon my utility, you know, what I am producing in terms of performance right. and results for others. So if you happen to find that in the midst of your meditation, introspection, self-awareness exercises, where do we go from there? Okay, a great question, really. As you look inside, as you really get to know yourself better, you can tap into a confidence that is just about you being a good human being. 
If you really identify who you are, you'll feel that place. It's the place that motivates you to do most of what you do. And if you're coming from that place, then generally there is no problem with doing a good job and pleasing others and getting the feedback on it because it's resonant with how you feel about yourself. I think the problem comes when you feel like you're being a fraud because you're acting a certain way externally to get feedback, but it isn't how you feel about yourself. So if you can discover your own goodness, if you can discover how to love yourself, then you will perform to your best and you'll probably get the good feedback as well. All right. And so once again, this connects, I'm thinking about sort of my own spiritual life there in terms of, we'd say that all human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. And thus they have intrinsic dignity. And it seems like you're sharing kind of a similar kind of core theme there in terms of you operate from a foundational place of I guess, security that you are a good person. And so I'm wondering, well, hey, if we're getting deep here, what if they don't feel like a good person? Like I'm rotten and they don't have the kind of foundational self-love going on. Geez, what then? Well, that's the whole trajectory that I have in the book is how to go from a place of maybe not being so kind to yourself to being more generous, to actually how to activate a connection to your fundamental goodness. I actually do that in the book. And this is for the workplace, okay. <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> I mean, it goes along with little practices that help you at work, not just in your life. But of course, you can't separate your life and your work. And that's the issue here is that we're talking about the whole human being, not just from nine to five. Oh, Gail, man, we are getting deep into the core <laughs> of the human experience. Activating that notion of self-love, I think for many is a kind of a lifelong journey. And you've got the book, you got the answers or the pathway. That sounds pretty impressive. Can you maybe share with us what would be some of the most foundational steps that will provide a real big bang for your buck in terms of if you're looking to invest some time, some energy, some courage and humility and, and this reflection and this work, How should you apply that to start to come to some of these positive foundational realizations of who you are fundamentally? Right. Great question. So there are so many practices offered in the book. I'm trying to think of a few core ones to talk about. Here's a really not so deep, but simple step on that path. So if you're overwhelmed by a reactive feeling or by anger or by chaos, and you just feel like you're not going to act kindly, you can step away for a moment if you notice it. If you have spent the time to know the feeling as it's arising in you, you can take a few moments to be alone, take a few breaths and regain your sense of balance. That's a really simple one. Or You can come back to the present from your train of thought by connecting to your senses and again, grounding yourself and breathing and feeling your humanity. Now, if you really want to develop this capacity for kindness, sometimes, as you say, it's hard to send love or kindness to yourself first because we're so hard on ourselves. So you can pick someone at work that you have a hard time with and 
find something nice about them and focus on that and send them some love or kindness and let your heart soften and open just a little bit and then realize, well, if they're basically good, then I'm basically good. <laughs> so I mean, there are lots and lots and lots of little ways that I talk about how you can do this. And ultimately, I have some practices you can do to um, deepen this. And when you say send them some love in practice, what does that you know, look like? Is that just a compliment or what's happening? Oh, okay. So what I'm saying is, first of all, you can think about it. Like you can actually think kindly of this person that you usually think is a jerk. Okay. So you can start shifting your mental pattern. And so a lot of this is proven by neuroscience that we actually get into these stuck patterns. So if you're used to judging yourself and others, if you're used to being stressed and angry, if you're used to thinking Joe is a jerk, that's the first thing that's going to come up for you when you see Joe. So if you're trying to shift your patterns, you can actually practice looking at and thinking about something nice about Joe before you even do anything. So you actually, rather than being disingenuous and going up and giving Joe a compliment when you think he's a jerk, you first develop some kind of capacity for seeing something good about Joe. And then maybe you go up and you say, hey, Joe, would you like to get a cup of coffee? I'm taking a break or whatever. But you don't do it first. First, you actually see something good about Joe by thinking about, of course, there's something good about him. Does that make sense? Oh, I like that. Thank you. And so maybe I'd love it if you could maybe provide just a couple reframes for us in terms of the things that irritate us about coworkers. And so one that comes to mind for me is I'm thinking of a person who uh-huh. is quite critical. And it seems like nothing is ever good enough. You know, when mistakes occur, there's all sorts of what could seem like unkind reactions to those mistakes. But I guess you could reframe that to say, my goodness, this person has a very high standard of excellence and they are pursuing greatness in terms of what we are producing here as a team. So I guess that that would be a a means of reframing a particular experience of, I don't like this person. They are a jerk into what appears to be a jerk manifestation may in fact be an expression of something good at the core. It could be. And also it might be an opportunity. The other aspect of that, it might be an opportunity to have compassion for this person boy, they must be hard on themselves if they're being this hard on me. Okay. I wonder what it's like to be inside of that person. I'm glad I'm not that hard on myself. I can give myself a break. If I make a mistake, I can do it again. I mean, the only way to learn is through mistakes. And cultures at work that don't allow for mistakes don't grow. They don't innovate. Nothing creative can happen if you can't make mistakes. Okay. Understood. Well, so then we talked a little bit about the confidence coming from a core belief Mm -hmm. in terms of you and your goodness and fundamental intrinsic value, and as well as mistakes showing up. Do you have some additional perspectives or approaches to grow in that sense of confidence day after day in work? Well, I think it's a quality of knowing that you're doing your best. I mean, again, you're the judge of that. So if you're actually reaching for excellence and you're asking for guidance and you're willing to listen outside of your fixed ideas to possibilities, then you're doing your best. 
But that's where you have to have the self-awareness. Am I rejecting advice? Am I asking for help? Am I a part of the team or am I acting as a solo agent? So you need to really assess. That's why I say that always the self-awareness comes as the first step because you have to know where you can grow. And that's how you keep growing. Okay. And then that's just there about having some quiet time, having some breathing, having some time with Q&A to yourself with a journal or, or such. Yeah, well, I also offer a uh, values assessment that there's a link to in the book and other exercises. There's tons of exercises in the book about what you're thinking about and what your inner critic is doing to yourself and what you do at work that you could let go of that's holding you back and what you could do more of and how to take action on the information you've got. I mean, I've just go on and on and on. You know, it's just all sorts of steps are right there. Well, talking about the inner critic point, I'd love to get your take. Do you have sort of a prescription when you're in the heat of it, the inner critic just fired off? That was so stupid. Whatever it sounds like. Yeah. Do you have like a stop, drop and roll or what do you oh. do in the moment? Yeah, actually, I do have a uh, practice called stop. All right. <laughs> so when you're being critical or you got angry or you're about to push send on the email that's wrong, whatever it is that you're you know, having a reactive response to, which is what being a critic of oneself is, just stop what you're doing. And so you can even say the word out loud, like to yourself, stop, just stop, right? So you wait for a minute. Then the T is take a deep breath. And deep breathing actually increases the flow of oxygen to the brain and it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which promotes a sense of calm. So now you've stopped, you have a little bit more calm and you observe what you're thinking or feeling. And by observing it, now you've taken a step back and this reduces your reactive response. So the critic in us, which is so powerful and so on autopilot, we're now taking a step back and observing ourselves doing it. And then we can proceed mindfully to respond to the situation or to what we're thinking in a different way. Okay. Well, excellent. Thank you. Well, you know, looking through what I prepared here, it feels like we've covered a lot of it. So you tell me what maybe we've missed to mop up a little bit. In addition to some of these approaches, what would be some of your other favorite quick and easy tactics or means of enjoying more happiness a day after day at work? Well, I think I'd like to talk a little bit more about curiosity and even a sense of trusting your intuition. Because both of those capacities, again, are opening you to messages or information from your work environment that you may not be listening to. And if you're stuck inside your head, you're stuck inside an echo chamber. So having curiosity about what's going on in the workplace, what's going on in other people's jobs and fields, what you can do to be of help to others, that's really a great way to get engaged and break that cycle of disengagement and be happier. Also, there are environments where the managers and other people actually build in fun activities. So you can make sure that you have some period of break for you and your team if you're in charge, 
where you can do some actual activities that bring some joy, like throwing around a Nerf ball or something once every three hours. I mean, there's lots of ways to de-stress the environment. And, you know, I give examples of companies that do things like this. They actually sometimes have days, like there's a bank that has dress-up days. (laughs) I mean, they'll just announce tomorrow's a dress-up day. Come as your favorite cartoon character. And so every teller is a cartoon character in that bank. I mean, it's just a bank. But they're trying to mix it up and let people bring their creativity in. So you really can let your mind go on this. Okay, very good. And so any other quick thoughts when it comes to stress, happiness, overwhelm, in terms of just make it for a better experience? Well, basically, you have to feel that you're the one who can make a difference. So if you're always looking to others to make your experience better, then you're staying in a dependent role. So I think that the important thing to realize is that you can make your day at work happier. And by doing so, you can affect others. So I have a story about one of my clients who worked in a very oppressive situation. It was a uh, loan or mortgage company. And so they had to work at a pace that was ridiculous because the margin of what they actually made on each loan that they processed was very small because they were just a processing arm in this. They weren't actually the bank. So they had to do enormous volumes and there was a huge lid from the top, like just work, 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 no breaks, no 20 minute lunches. I mean, just terrible, terrible environment. And people were incredibly stressed and literally getting sick. And my client, decided to do things differently. She was a manager of a particular group. And without telling her superiors, she um, gave them an hour for lunch. She often went out with them. She had team meetings. She gave them lots of feedback and praise. And one day, her superiors came to her and said, hey, your division is producing more than anybody else. What are you doing? (laughs) She told them. Breaking all of your rules. Exactly. (laughs) And I know another um, CEO who writes a happy birthday note to every single employee in a huge company. So that means every single day she's writing a letter because there's thousands of people in this company. But it's this personal connection from the very top to the lowest person. So whether you're at the bottom or whether you're at the top, you can make a difference by doing something kind for someone. Fantastic. Thanks, Gail. Tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we talk about some of your favorite things? I do think you've covered a lot. Well, I could say something about happiness, fear, and change, because we live in times that are changing very rapidly. And a lot of those changes are what are causing the stress and fear in workplaces, whether it's the management's response to change or an individual's inability to change. And so fear can come up when you're moved to another department or your company merges with another company or there's new policies or if you have a new job, then you're fear of the performance. So there's all these opportunities to close down. And so I just want to offer the possibility that change is completely natural and normal and we could embrace it and that we could see it always as a fresh moment that change gives us the opportunity to excel. Change gives us the opportunity to do something new. So a lot of it is really changing our mindset. Okay. 
Thank you. Well, so now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? The one that I keep on my desk, you may think this is pretty obscure, but I'm going to say it. And then if you want me to tell you what it means to me, I will. But I keep this on my desk every day. It's since everything is but an apparition, perfect in being what it is, having nothing to do with good or bad acceptance or rejection, you might as well burst out laughing. Okay. (laughs) So. No, that makes sense. Sure, might as well. Thank you. Okay, (laughs) you're welcome. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, I love the study that was done and talked about in the book Blink. It highlighted the power of intuition and decision-making. So what they did, it was a study done at a university, done with four decks of cards. Two decks of cards were red and two decks of cards were blue. And before the card experiment started, they wired the palms of the participants to lie detectors, which were basically measuring perspiration so that when you got nervous, you would start to perspire. And the goal was you could win money by turning over cards that had a positive value. And you would lose money by the, it would be subtracted the cards that had a negative value. And I don't know what was actually written on the cards, but as you turned the cards over, you would see what the value was. And the experiment was rigged. It was the red cards, I believe, that were more positive and the blue that were more negative or one or the other. And so what happened was, as they did the experiment, nobody said anything until about the 50th card. And then by the 80th card, they would say, oh, I know what's going on. This is rigged. The red deck is better than the blue deck. But actually what was happening was after card number 10, their palms began sweating. Their bodies knew that something was going on and they started picking fewer cards from the bad decks. So their body was giving them information They were slightly acting on that information, but that information in the body was processed before it got to the prefrontal cortex in the brain where the brain said, oh, I see what's going on. So the lesson to take from that is that if you can tune more into your body, it's an advantage in business and making decisions and you can trust your gut. So I love that experiment. Oh, excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? I love fantastical realism. And one of my favorite authors is Salman Rushdie. Are you familiar with him? A little bit. Yeah. So uh, right now I'm just started a new one called The Ground Beneath Her Feet. But I loved Midnight's Children and Harum and the Sea of Stories and The Moor's Last Sigh. Anyway, I love Salman Rushdie. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool? I think I probably do use that stopping and taking a breath and seeing what I'm feeling all the time. I really do because I'm a very energetic and passionate person. So I could just jump and say something that I might be sorry for. So I think I use the tool of just, hmm, (laughs) let me think about that for a moment before I jump. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours you find helpful? 
Well, I love to work out and I find that really helpful in terms of feeling my best. Oh yeah, that's great. Thank you. And is there a particular nugget, something that you share that tends to particularly resonate with folks? They nod their heads, they take notes and say, yes, Gail, that's so right on. Well, honestly, I'm going to say that the message of being happier at work and the message of kindness is resonating tremendously. So for instance, the other day, I was quite surprised. I was at a, a meeting Somebody was giving a talk and I sat next to the CEO of a fairly large financial organization. And I had my book with me because I was going to give it to the speaker. They were someone who had asked for my book. So I had it on the table and he said, oh my God, we need that in our industry. We need to be happier at work. And we already have an appointment to get together and talk. And actually... I'm pleasantly shocked by how universal this need is. Beautiful. Thank you. And tell me if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, I do have a website and the name of my company is Transform Your Culture. So you can go to transformyourculture.com or you could actually go to happieratwork.com or my name, gailvangills.com, and they'll all get you to the same website. And when you go there, I would suggest taking the personal values assessment, which is on the book page, because that's free. It comes with a free consultation with me, and it gives you a lot of insight into some of the areas that we were talking about in terms of getting some self-awareness. Okay. And would you leave listeners with a final challenge or call to action if they're looking to be more awesome at their jobs? Oh, I would say take an interest in someone else tomorrow and see what you can do for them and see what happens. Perfect. Thank you. Well, Gail, this has been really, really good, deep stuff, kind of <laughs> thought provoking at the, in a big way. So thanks so much for sharing this and good luck with the book and all you're up to. Okay. Thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. Well, there was some potentially touchy-feely stuff there, but I hope you're able to open up and engage with it and see the importance of it. And as Gail mentioned, if you can discover how to love yourself, then you will perform your best. And I think it's really true in terms of when we're trying to get validation from our achievements in work or anything, that it makes us less effective than when you feel like you can stand on your own two feet and just feel solid about you and your you-ness and then naturally good things show up and I've seen this in terms of people's like posture and facial appearances you know in terms of whether they feel that sense of self-love and self-respect and self-confidence versus when they don't and sometimes it comes and it goes so the better that foundation is the better a whole lot of stuff flows from that so thanks for entering into the heart emotional territory on this particular episode. I had fun and I hope you did too. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep169. And I hope to catch you on our next episode. We've got Dave Stahoviak and he is the host of the Coaching for Leaders podcast, which has a whole lot of good stuff when it comes to doing some coaching and some feedback. Dave shared a game-changing perspective on asking for feedback. I've already been employing 
So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.